Welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics as we continue to see what's going to happen to the five musketeers and the $210,000 they dug up. Incidentally, little Joey was right in a sense. The $210,000 they found today adjusted for inflation would be worth a whopping $1.75 million. So let's continue with The Money by Theodore Pratt. Segment 9. Henny had an idea. He shifted his stocky body about on the ground where he sat and proposed, let's divide it in equal parts. That's fair, and it would give each of us, um... He turned to Gracie. How much would it be? She shook her head and then began to figure in the notebook. After a moment, she gave them the result. $42,000. Henny whistled. George shook his head more vigorously than Gracie had done. All I want you to think about is this. Imagine what it would be like if Joey here went home with $42,000, or any of us for that matter. They pictured this and made motions and sounds to indicate that it would not be a very good idea. All right, said Paul. Here's another idea. We put it in the bank. Again, George shook his head. I've already thought of that. It wouldn't be any good. If we did that, we'd get known, and it would come out how we found it. They thought. Paul expanded his bank idea. How about putting it in a safety deposit box in a bank? What's that? asked Joey. Paul started to explain about a safety deposit box, but George interrupted him in the middle by vetoing that on the same grounds as putting it in a bank account. Gracie, whose small, smooth brow was furled with thought, offered, I read in the paper the other day about banks in Switzerland where you can keep money and it's only a number and nobody gets to know. Do they do that here? Henny inquired. I don't think so. Then how do we get to Switzerland? George had been thinking. There is only one thing to do. We can't take the money home with us, either the whole thing or in parts. It's got to be left here in the clubhouse. Somebody will steal it, Joey objected. Not if we bury it the same way Mr. Wesley did. You mean in a coal pile? asked Joey. George gave him a withering glance. Just in the ground. Nobody'd ever think we had a lot of money buried here. It'll be all right. Supposing it would? asked Gracie. Then what do we do with it? One thing we don't do, George declared, is spend it. Not yet, anyway. You mean any of it? asked Henny. No, I mean any amount of it. You've all seen TV where the crooks make a big haul and their leader tells them to lay low and not spend a lot of money so nobody will be suspicious. You mean we're crooks? asked Paul. Of course not. I only mean we do the same thing. Later on, we can figure out more what to do with it. Right now, we've got to work out a good way to keep it. How are we going to do that? asked Joey. I've already figured it out, announced George. At his certain tone of leadership, they attended him. We ought to have some protection about it being buried in the clubhouse. So, we'll put a lock on the door just in case somebody comes snooping around and gets in. We'll put it on today. A lot costs money, said Henny. Maybe even all of us together haven't got enough to buy one. 
Scornfully, George pointed in front of him and asked, "What do you think that is?" Their glances followed his finger. Joey giggled. Gracie laughed wildly. The others followed suit. Even George, and soon they were all howling. Tears appeared in their eyes, and some ran down their cheeks. Henny, at the joke on him, rolled on the ground, unable to contain himself. His body hit the boxes and knocked several of them askew, so that the bundle of bills, not secured by a rubber band, slid off and onto the floor, scattering every which way. This caused them to yell and cry out, and all grabbed to retrieve the money, putting it back on the table and straightening things in general. George picked up the loose packet and held it in full view. We'd better count it, just for safety's sake. Not that we don't trust each other. He counted under their steady watch. The count came out all right. George held up the unbound packet of fifty-dollar bills. We'd better not let that happen again. Anybody got a rubber band? Pockets and jeans and shorts were searched, but no rubber band came out. Though Joey produced a short piece of once white string, that'll do," said George. He took it and tied it about the packet, making a knot. That finished, he added it to the pile of money and then said, "Now we got to decide how to keep it." Paul pointed out, "We sure got something in the treasury now, and I'm the treasurer, so I ought to have charge of it." The others murmured at this. They didn't care for the idea of any single one, even the treasurer, having charge. We ought to all have charge of it, Henny declared. How are we going to do that? Asked Gracie. We're going to do it just like we said, George told them. We keep it buried right here in the clubhouse, but we get a lock for the door, and we'd better get the lock while there's time to put it on today. I'll go and buy it with Henny, and the rest of you stay here. We'll take along some of the money for a screwdriver, too, which we haven't got. We'd better take along ten dollars, just in case. He withdrew while they all watched one ten-dollar bill from a packet of that denomination. It ought to be put down," said Paul. "We ought to keep track of everything." I'll put it down," said Gracie. She took up her notebook and the club pencil. She opened the book to the first page. Thought for an instant and then wrote, two hundred and ten thousand dollars. Beneath that, she wrote ten dollars to George and Henny. She drew a line, subtracted, and after some muttered figuring, wrote two hundred and nine thousand nine hundred and ninety dollars. While she was doing this, Paul had time to think of a dread possibility. Indicating the pile of money, he said, "Do you think it's good?" They glanced at him quickly, then at the money, and back to him. "You mean you think maybe it's counterfeit?" asked Henny. "I don't know," said Paul. "It could be." At this dread prospect, they turned to their leader for assurance. In a measured tone, George said, "I don't think it is." "Why not?" asked Gracie. George considered. "Well, for one thing, it's old, and all counterfeit money is new." Hopefully, Gracie recalled. On TV, it's always new. In real life, there could be old. Paul cautioned. Ours could be the kind they never found out about. Maybe until now. George didn't care for any of this. I don't think Mr. Wesley saved counterfeit. It's good, put in Joey. It's got to be good. Anyway, said Paul, you'll find out when you go to the store for the lock. That. 
pessimistic thought startled George, and a look of apprehension came over his face. If it's counterfeit, asked Henny, what'll happen? Cheerfully, Gracie informed him, they'll arrest you. George fingered the ten-dollar bill and regarded the pile of money uncertainly. Then, as though summoning up his courage, he declared, I still think it's good. You'd better go ahead and find out, Paul challenged. We will, George declared. Henny offered, I'd just as soon wait here if anybody else wants to go. You got chosen, Joey told him. All right. George folded the ten-dollar bill and put it in his pocket. Now, about the rest of you staying here, there's got to be a way about that. We won't steal any of it, Gracie declared. I know, Paul, George replied. There was a little conviction in his tone. It's just that there's so much. There ought to be a way. His brow furled as he tried to find one. What? Paul asked. George decided, you got to promise not to touch it. We promise, said Joey. You got to put your hands on your hearts, George instructed, and say after me. The three to be left behind with the money, Paul, Gracie, and Joey, put their hands over their hearts. Cross my heart, hope to die, George began. Cross my heart and hope to die, they repeated. I won't touch the money. I won't touch the money while George and Henny are gone. While George and Henny are gone. That ought to do it. Henny observed. We can't leave it out like this, Gracie said. I'll tell you what. We'll put it back in the box, and I'll put it under my chair and sit on it, and that way nobody can touch it. This was thought to be a good plan, at least on the whole, with only one of them disagreeing on a detail. That was Paul. I'm the treasurer. I ought to sit on it. George reminded. It was Gracie's idea. I'm still the treasurer. Paul insisted, and I haven't done much treasury work. Magnanimously, and also a bit disgusted at the exhibition of male ego, Gracie said, Oh, go ahead. George put the packets back in the corroded metal box, finding it difficult at first to locate the way they fitted, but finally achieving it and closed the box and put the rusted hasp in place. They got to their feet. Paul picked up his chair, and George placed the box on the ground, and Paul put his wooden chair over it and sat on top of it. Don't move, George instructed, until we get back. Perspiration dripped on all their faces. Can't we open the door? asked Henny. Paul advised. It better stay closed. As though to be contrary or not to let Paul show any sign of leadership, George decided... I don't think it would do any harm. Go ahead. You'd better stay inside and out of sight, though. Joey blew out the candle, and Gracie opened the door and left it open as George and Henny departed from the clubhouse and started for the city. They looked back once to make sure everything was all right and then proceeded. They walked a few blocks to the nearest hardware store to Buckingham Hills. Before they reached it, George said, I don't know if we should go there. They know us, and they might think something. Henny agreed. They might ask us what we want the lock for. They crossed the street when passing the store, not risking even being seen on their errand, and continued on. They walked for nearly another mile until they came to a larger hardware store. They stopped a short distance away and studied it. That ought to do it, George said. I don't like it what Paul said about the money being counterfeit. Me either. 
George said no more, but led the way toward and then inside the store. Both their hearts started to beat fast and continued while they found the counter holding locks and studied them in the case. George has, had decided that only a padlock and a long-hinged clasp would work on the door of the clubhouse, and they saw one they thought would be good. A clerk appeared behind the counter and waited on them, bringing out the padlock and then leading them to another case where the clasps were kept on display. Their hearts beat faster as it got closer to offering the ten-dollar bill in payment, and this was staved off a bit longer by the purchase of a middle-sized screwdriver. At the last minute, George added a ball of thin twine without explanation to Henny. The clerk took their selections to an open counter and added them up on a machine. The amount came to $7.63. The clerk wrapped up their articles and then looked for payment. Slowly, George took out the $10 bill and unfolded it. He wondered if Henny's heart was going as fast as his. He put it on the counter. Barely glancing at it, the clerk picked it up, put it in the open drawer of the till, and counted out change. George received this, and Henny snatched up their package, and they turned and hurried out the store. On the sidewalk, Henny exclaimed, Phew! It's good, George breathed. It's good! Back at the clubhouse, everything seemed to be in order with Paul still sitting over the money, and they reported the good news about their fortune. The door was closed and the candle lighted. Paul got up and rust and the rusted metal box was opened while George put the change back in it, and then it was closed again. Gracie entered the transaction in her notebook, putting down two dollars and thirty seven cents below two hundred and nine thousand nine hundred and ninety dollars and added it making their worth now two hundred and nine thousand nine hundred and ninety two dollars and thirty seven cents when you were rich you had to do quite a bit of figuring joey asked what's the string for i'll tell you what it's for said george instead of wondering every time if something's been taken out we're going to seal it like this he took out his pocket knife and cut off a piece of string. He tied this two ways about the box and made a good knot, then instructed at large, Give me another candle. A candle taken from their cash was handed to him. George held the wick over this. George held the wick of this over the burning candle. It caught. Then he held this one horizontally over the knot he had made. Wax dripped over it and congealed. He turned the metal box over and did the same on the other side where the two strands of twine met. Now, he said, if the seals are broken, we'll know somebody has been in it. Say, said Henny, that's good. It ought to do it, Gracie admitted. Paul studied the arrangement and questioned, what's stopping somebody from breaking the seals and making new ones? George pointed out, We'd see the way it's different. Take a good look at it on both sides and everybody remember. They peered at the globules of wax on one side and George turned the box over so they could study them on the other side. Joey asked plaintively, Don't we get any money for ourselves now? Not yet, said George. We better get used to the idea and think about it some time before. I want some now. I spent all my allowance this week already, and I want... You wait, George told him. We'll all take some soon. They looked at the padlock and saw there were two keys to operate it. 
"'Who keeps the keys?' asked Gracie. "'Well,' said George, "'I've thought about that, and I thought. "'As president and your leader, I'd better keep both.' "'The same uneasiness came to them "'they had experienced before "'when the question of one-man control "'and possession of the money came up. "'The idea was not popular. "'Paul stated, "'Then you'd be the only one able "'to get into the clubhouse where the money will be.' "'What's the matter with that?' George demanded. "'The matter with that,' Paul replied, "'is that I'm the treasurer, and I ought to have a key, too.' "'What about us?' demanded Joey. "'Yeah,' said Henny. "'What's the matter with us having keys?' "'Nothing,' Gracie declared. "'The argument about this became general, "'and not to the point until Paul quoted the motto of the five musketeers. "'It's all for one and one for all,' he reminded. "'So we ought to all have keys.' There's only two, George pointed out. We can have more made, Paul said. That costs 25 cents apiece, Joey said, at a place a couple blocks away. My mother sent me last week to get one made. It was decided to have three more keys made. The problem arose that the box with the money to pay for them had been sealed, and they remembered what the candle drippings looked like. Henny solved this by suggesting that if they had enough between them... They loaned 75 cents of their own money until the box was opened again. Joey did not have to search his pockets, already having declared his financial condition. George had a quarter, and Gracie had another. Between Paul, who had 17 cents, and Henny, who came up with the remaining 8 cents, the goal was reached. It had better be put on the record, Gracie said, getting out her notebook and opening it. She wasn't quite sure how to enter this, but finally decided it was correct to subtract it from the last figure, bringing their balance down to $209,991.62. Below this, she made a notation about the amounts owed to each of those who had made the loan. Joey and Gracie were selected to go with the 75 cents to get the three more keys. They were given the money and one of the keys. The metal box was put under Paul's chair, which he sat on again. The candle was blown out and the door opened. Gracie and Joey started but had gone only a few steps before Joey turned and cried, How about crossing your heart's hope to die? Henny laughed. George exclaimed, For Pete's sake! And Paul said, you saw the seals. You can look at them when you come back to see if they're the same. It's all right, Gracie advised Joey. They continued on their way. End of segment nine.